Live from Lisbon, this is The Twilight Show with Lucy Newberger. Good evening, everybody. I'm back and I'm so excited. This evening, we are talking about everything to do with school dinners and nutrition education in schools. Live from Lisbon, this is The Twilight Show with Lucy Newberger on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody. You're back with me, Lucy Newberger, and we're here for Tuesday's Twilight Show. Uh, I feel like I haven't done this in a while. I took some time off over the Easter holidays. I think mine over here in Portugal ran slightly later than yours did in the UK. But we're back, we're well rested, and ready to get stuck into this evening. Uh, in a little while, I'm going to introduce you to our wonderful guest this evening, Lindsay McDonald, who is CEO over at Magic Breakfast. And she is going to talk to us in detail all about school dinners, all about her organisation and what it's done for food education within the UK and within schools. But before we get on to all that, and whilst we're settling in, as is tradition, we are going to do a quick sort of rundown of what's been going on in the world, well, in my little world, and hopefully in your little world as well. It's always fun to, to talk about what we've been up to first, I think. So as I said to you, I've just come off my Easter break, which was lovely and much, much needed. And I think as much as we teachers are often talk about, oh, I need a break, I need some time off, I need to just reset, uh, I need a break from the children as well. I actually think that the children also do need a bit of a break from us. And that was very apparent towards the end of term for me. My class of year fives were a bit all over the place, really. And I know it's something I talk about regularly, but I do truly believe that we are only really just getting into uh, the COVID hangover in terms of how it's affected children relating to one another, how it's affected their behaviour in class, their ability to take things on. And of course, for, for us as well, I had a, a long chat to a colleague at the at the beginning of the holidays. And I think the word she used is that we we're not as robust as we once were and our ability to take things on and deal with things has diminished dramatically and I think she she has a point we are worn out to be honest uh, teachers all over the world I think are are heading into I don't want to call it a crisis mode I think I think I don't think it's that I think we are just figuring out what the next steps are in so many ways, how we do recover from, from all of this, how we do move forward. And I know we've been banging on about it for a long, long time, but the fact of the matter is that it's going to affect things for a long, long time to come. And I do think as well that, as we will talk about later on, that uh, food in schools and nutrition in schools and provision of meals in schools has also been affected by this. And also, 
forms a huge part of how children are responding and how they are recovering in all of this. So we will definitely dig into that a little bit later on. What else has gone on? Oh, my pa my parents came over to, to visit me during the, the Easter holidays. It's only the second time, actually, in the two, not quite two years that I've, I've lived here because, of course, of everything going on, they weren't able to. I wasn't able to go home. And I honestly, I don't know about any of you, but I find when I'm around my parents, and I love them dearly, I'm very fortunate, I get on very well with my parents, but I revert into teenage mode. It's like I forget how to adult, and I forget that I'm actually a 33-year-old functional woman with a, a grown-up job and responsibilities, and I live in an apartment, and I, I do all these things, but there's something about being around your parents, particularly when you haven't seen them for a period of time, where they and particularly my mum, who walked into my apartment and still, despite the fact that I thought my apartment was absolutely spotless and I'd made a point of making sure it was spotless, she still was there with a cloth and they're sort of saying, oh, you know, are you all right? Are you functioning? Is everything okay? Yes, mum, everything is fine. I'm okay. I'm clearly alive and well. Please just sit down, have a cup of tea and let's just get on. But we had a, a lovely time. We did a bit of touring around, around in Portugal as well. Uh, eating lots of great food, <laughs> food being a continuing theme of this show, as you as you know, and the fact that I get to talk about it for an hour and a half this evening is utter joy to me, as you can imagine. So the fact that I got to eat lots of wonderful food around Portugal was also a, a huge privilege, and I really enjoyed that. Um, a massive seafood fan, and of course, seafood in Portugal is absolutely fantastic. Um, I've also developed a strong liking for clams which if you do get a chance to ever come out here, pork and clams is actually the national dish and very, very enjoyable indeed. What else has been going on? Oh gosh, yes, I'm getting to the tail end of half marathon training, which for those of you who listen into this show regularly know that I committed to this back in January because I needed something to focus on, I needed something to motivate me. And uh, this half marathon is now, or the Lisbon half marathon that I'm participating in is now, just shy of two weeks away, I am terrified because I had a bit of a disaster when I um, when I did a run, one of my longer runs in the holidays. I made the mistake of not fueling properly, not taking any water with me on what was effectively a 20 kilometer run. Now, silly me, you would say, but I thought, oh no, I'm not gonna be out for, for long. Surely it'll be fine. It was not fine. It was not fine at all. I ended up having a panic attack uh, about well it was, I was 17 kilometers in at this point so I'd, I'd done well to get that far but I hadn't felt well for the majority of the run and I felt sicker and sicker I couldn't breathe and in the end I had to sit down on a bench and I must have looked absolutely extraordinary to people walking past me because I had my head between my legs I was trying to lie down and I couldn't feel my hands and it was simply awful but what I took from that is take out with you on a long run don't allow yourself to get that dehydrated and uh, let's just hope that on the day on the 8th of May that I don't make any of these mistakes so fingers crossed and I well I've got I've got a little bit longer so uh, I will continue reporting back to you about the training and then hopefully once I've done the event I can stop banging on about that as well because I'm sure you're getting truly sick of me talking about it each week that I am on the final thing that I'm going to tell you about before we get stuck into this evening's proceedings is that 
I went to a cooking class on Sunday evening and it was great fun. If you get the opportunity to participate in anything like that, whether you host it at a friend's house, whether you actually go and do one somewhere else, honestly, it is so much fun. I went to just a, a little one in, in Lisbon. I went by myself, but I met lots of people who were on their travels. The chefs were fantastic and it was a family affair. So instead of all being lined up like you are in a master chef kitchen, uh, each kind of cooking your own individual things, we all mucked in and we all contributed to a dinner that we ended up eating together. So there were starters going on, there were main courses, there were bits and pieces happening. There was wine aplenty, of course, as we were as we were cooking, which is always a good thing. And uh, it was just an absolutely lovely, lovely thing. And then we all sat down to this meal and got chatting. And of course, as we all know, bonding over food is one of the most wonderful things you can do. It's so crucial to, to who we are as people, to how we relate to one another. And as you know, this evening going to be a huge part or going to be the main focus of what we are talking about. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to play the news. And then when we come back, I'm going to introduce you to how this topic came about, because as you know, there is always a story behind why I choose certain subjects or certain things to talk about on Teachers Talk Radio. And then I'm going to bring on my lovely guest, Lindsay McDonald. So all that to look forward to post news. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development Every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. Introducing Bulb. With evidence-based learning at the forefront of education, let Bulb digital portfolios help reshape your educational practice. Bulb helps teachers teach and learners learn. Bulb is an easy-to-use, fully accessible digital platform that captures students' digital learning assets in one place, allowing them to evidence their learning and reflect on their growth. Our dedicated team of education specialists are on hand to ensure the Bulb fits seamlessly into all of your teaching practices. Come take a look and get a free account at bulbapp.com. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, 
offered a clear path to career progression and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are Witherslack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.witherslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. In Wales, head teachers are optimistic that the new term beginning on Monday will be the most normal since 2019. School visits, leavers events, sports days, awards, fairs and shows are running for the first time since the pandemic began. New schools advice is due to be issued on Friday, May the 6th. Teaching unions, however, have warned that it is not business as usual and there is still a high risk of COVID disruption. Teaching union, UCAC, summed up mixed feelings saying, hopefully with the weather improving, there will be more opportunities for schools to plan extracurricular activities. However, only time will tell if the infections will rise or not after the Easter break. Karen Brown, head teacher of Millbank Primary School in Cardiff said, we are not so worried about COVID now, but there were still plenty of cases last term. So we are continuing with good ventilation and hygiene. We are looking forward to things like sports days again. Our plan is to invite parents to that and to our first year six leaver service for two years. We started trips last term and years five and six had an amazing time at Story Arms. We couldn't do that in the last two years. According to new research by the National Literacy Trust, parents spent less time reading, chatting and playing with their children during the pandemic. The Trust surveyed more than 1,500 parents with children under five. Overall, the report found that fewer parents of young children engaged in home learning activities, reading, chatting, playing, singing or painting and drawing in 2021 compared with 2019, despite spending more time in their home with their child due to the pandemic. Spokesperson Alison Tebbs said, it was such a difficult time for people. There was less support for families. There was less socialisation happening and beneficial activities like going to the park or library were often unable to take place. Reading with children and having conversations is vital for helping their brains develop. One of the reasons two-year-olds act out is because they're trying to communicate feelings which they can't explain verbally. That's why you get tantrums. The more words they have and the more support they get when they communicate, the more in touch they will be with their emotions and with the wider world. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn.
This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this term is known to be one of the hardest. When we're distracted and tired, it's easy to make a mistake and fall for a scam. There are loads of scams out there, but the use of subdomains to give a fake sense of security is one scam that a lot of people fall for. In the interest of keeping you, your family and your friends safe over the next two episodes, I'm going to explain the fake bank message scam and how it can look so believable. First up, we need to discuss how data travels over the internet. If you explore an internet address, let's take Teachers Talk Radio as our example, https www.ttradio.org. There are basically four parts. HTTPS, this is Hypertext Transfer Protocol, with the S standing for secure. Protocols are used for data transfer. The HTTP protocol allows the transmission of HTML or hypertext markup language from a web server to your computer. In basic terms, it lets a web page be requested and viewed. The confusion here is the secure version. Some believe that seeing a site is HTTPS and has a little padlock in the address bar means that you are protected. To some extent, this is true. However, the security certificate for a site simply encrypts or scrambles the transmission. So if it's intercepted, it can't be used. So yes, you are secure from interception but if the owner of a website is dishonest, you're not safe from them. The next three parts are to do with where the web page resides or the address. Like we need a postcode and house number, your computer needs to know where to look for the information you want. WWW is the World Wide Web, a huge network of interconnected networks. TT Radio is the name of the website and .org is the top level domain. Again, simplifying this, .org domains are kept in a kind of phone book that can be accessed by your internet service provider. So to find ttradio.org, .org tells you to look in the .org phone book for TT Radio and return where the website is for your browser to download it. Why don't you ask your pupils, family and friends what they believe the padlock and HTTPS means? You may be surprised at the answer you receive. Next time, we're going to look at how criminals use this misconception to gain your trust. As always, don't forget to check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. Tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tuesday evening's Twilight Show with me, Lucy Newberger. As always, Two Minute Tech, so informative. I never feel more informed in such a short space of time than I do when I listen to Stephen's Two Minute Tech. Whilst the news was on, I realised I forgot my beloved what's for dinner feature. And the reason I was reminded is because my dear best friend who loyally listens in to me, even though she's not a teacher, loyally listens in to me most weeks. I don't know if loyally is a word. Anyway, we'll go with it. And uh, she's just messaged me uh, to say uh, she's having sweet and sour salmon stir fry with udon noodles. Sounds very posh. Eleni, thank you for that. So those of you listening, if you would like to share with me what you're having for dinner, I will shortly be asking my guest, Lindsay, what she is having for dinner as well. So Lindsay, I hope you're ready and raring to go with, uh, with what you're having. But uh, let's crack on with this evening's topic. So as I've said to you several times already in the show, I am a diehard food fan. I mention it far too much. I really enjoy anything and everything to do with food, whether it's cooking it, eating it, cooking shows, magazines, cookbooks, you name it. And of course, a large part of that growing up was school dinners. Oh, Leanne's just popped up to say she's made fish pie for lunches and having leftover sauce with some pasta and she is a fellow foodie. Good to have you aboard, Leanne, and thank you for sharing with us. So yes, yeah, sorry, I always I always go off on tangents as you as you are well aware because uh, I love it when people chime in, but then it also does mean that I lose my train of thought part way through. But we'll we'll go with it. Just go along for the ride as, as usual. 
So of course, school dinners were a large part of that growing up. And whilst my parents were here, I got talking to them about their school dinners and some throwback memories of the things they used to get given at primary school, especially. And the memories were not exactly good. There are some things that they were given that just quite honestly, I find unbelievable and things that actually you can still find today. So for example, spam was quite a regular feature. For those of you who don't know what spam is, it is uh, tinned ham. I think ham would be a loose, a loose term. It's tinned, squashed together bits of pig, I think is probably a, a better term. And quite honestly, I'm sure there are still people out there who, who really do like it, but I can't really think of anything worse. Beetroot apparently was a regular feature. And it's only re in recent times, actually, my mum said to me that she's been able to, to stomach beetroot again. And uh, just some extraordinary things, very fatty meat as well. And the quality was not high. And I don't know if this was because they were at school sort of still, this was kind of a uh, a hangover from from rationing from World War Two because both of my parents are boomers, so born in the uh, early ish fifties. Yes, am I right? Yes, uh, they will kill me for mentioning that, but luckily I don't think they're listening in this evening, so I'm going to get away with that. Sorry, mum and dad. <laughs> but uh, of course, fast forward to to my childhood, and I actually have very fond memories of of school food. Uh, I think it's partly caught up in that 90s nostalgia for me. Um, and actually, I was listening to and dancing around to the Spice Girls before I <laughs> before I jumped into this show this evening. So I was enjoying a bit of a, 90, a 90s moment. But certainly, I remember very fondly things like sponge and custard, things like, uh, actually, it was mainly desserts, I remember, funnily enough things that you would never get away with serving now. My my particular favourite, and I know my my three greatest friends from primary school were also a huge fan of this, and we talked about this. We've uh, dined out on it since. It was this particular dessert that was called cornflake crunch, and I'm fairly sure all it was was cornflakes mixed with golden syrup, which you cannot imagine in the wake of, of Jamie Oliver and everything else and the influence on school dinners since then that that would ever be allowed to... to be made in schools and it was served with a block of vanilla ice cream and honestly as a child that was just mwah, chef's kiss absolutely fantastic but of course there are as much as there are happy memories for me associated with my school dinners things have kind of unraveled since then and I think there are increasingly particularly in the wake of COVID a number of issues with food provision in schools um, and how that food is being provided to children and so I wanted to before I delved into this topic more I wanted to kind of do some research and sort of see comparatively where the UK is at and how what that looks like nowadays and actually I found something to that compared UK school dinners to school dinners in Portugal, which is where I live now. Leanne's chimed in to say, this is how I'd rank school dinners in my last three schools. Horrendous, edible, not too bad. Ah, I wonder if this is going to be a running theme. So let's let's see where we end up with this, Leanne. So just going back to this uh, piece of research that I found, and it's actually, it was done by the UCL Institute of Education. 
and it was free school it's called free school meals what the uk can learn from portugal's model now i did not expect to to come across this and it was actually a, a very very interesting piece of research and as usual i will put anything myself or lindsay later on refers to uh, in the show notes so you can refer back to it so you can kind of get a picture of, of what we've talked about in more detail. So I'm just going to read you the kind of the headline bits from this, obviously not the whole thing, because you don't want that. So it starts off by saying before the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, over 4.2 million children in Britain were living in relative poverty. And since then, that figure has increased by 200,000. Uh, rising levels of food insecurity among families mean that school lunch is often children's main meal of the day. Now, of course, that's incredibly important as well, as well as breakfast, which I know Lindsay will talk about in, in more detail as well. But while school meals can mitigate some of the direct effect of poverty on children's diet, too often this potential is unrealized. And actually, the study uh, took in Norway as well. But the, the points that I wanted to bring out were that, let me just find what I was looking for. Oh, in this particular, this is the thing I've actually, as in true me fashion, I've got all my research spread out in front of me and highlighted, but I still can't find half the time what I'm looking for. Uh, so it's uh, important to note that irrespective of their ability to pay, the standardised meal for all children in Portugal is always a daily soup, a starter, meat and fish and alternate days, bread and a piece of fruit or jelly and dessert. And there, in Portugal, there is a three-tier system for paying for school meals, uh, as well as other necessities such as books and stationery. Those in the lowest income group are entitled to a free school meal, and those in the next category pay half the subsidised cost, while the rest pay the full amount, and it's capped at one euro 46 i think that's per day i'm guessing that's per day um and in portugal the uh, mothers of children who were in receipt of a free or subsidized meal told us that they appreciate it especially the regular appearance of fish on the menu as fish is symbolic and nutritional importance of, of the portuguese diet but has become expensive it really has it's it's uh, and of course in the wake of us being encouraged for more vegetarian food seafood is definitely uh, becoming more and more of a of a luxury item that is for sure um more than one mother said that if it wasn't for school meals their children would not eat fish at at all which i think is uh, is interesting as well and uh it says also if we had not included portuguese young people in our cross-national study the inadequacies in the free school meal system in england might not have been so obvious but uh and i will again i'll post the photos but looking at the photos and so the photo of the portuguese meal shows what i've described to you already and the photo of the um meal that was uh, in london which is just a slice of actually quite sad looking uh, pizza. Um, the free school meal system in England, uh, so the issues might not have been so obvious, uh, but it's quite clear that uh, the approaches to food are very, very different. So how is it that we have arrived in a situation where our school meal provision situation is, well, quite frankly, appalling in comparison to Portugal? However, not all is lost because there are organizations in place that are doing their absolute best to ensure that this does not become an increasing problem so what i would like to do now and she will explain things far better than i will is bring on my guest who is in the studio and that is lindsay mcdonald lindsay i think you can hear me are you oh there she is wonderful hello lindsay can you hear me 
I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can hear you. That's absolutely wonderful. I feel oh, like fantastic. <laughs> I think you are going to do this far more justice than I ever could. Um, so, oh, <laughs> um, ooh, just before we get going, a uh, friend of the show, Lawrence, has uh, jumped in to say, evening or sorry I'm late. Looking forward to catching up with tonight's interesting discussion. Please, I haven't missed anything from Lindsay yet. You are very uh, in demand this evening, Lindsay, so I'm, I'm glad you're here. Oh, well, thank you ever so much for, for inviting me and for letting me, letting me join. I mean, it's, it's such an important topic uh, for lots of reasons, and um, I'm sure we're going to cover a lot of them this evening as well. Oh, absolutely. So before we go any further, can you please tell us who you are, what your current role is, and just yeah, anything else you want to add? Oh, as well as what you're having for dinner, if that's all right. Yes, and thank you for the reminder that you're going to ask me about dinner because I did quickly dash across the uh, the flat to look in the fridge to figure it out. I think it's going to end up being something along the lines of some gnocchi and whatever's in the fruit and veg drawer that hasn't kind of lived lived its life and uh, thrown into a bit of a stir fry. So there'll be something something mixed up with a bit of veg, I think, and gnocchi. Oh, fantastic stuff! So, Lindsay, who are you? Tell the world who you are. Oh, goodness. Well, so my name is Lindsay McDonald, and I am the relatively new, I think I can still say that, Chief Executive of Magic Breakfast. I joined at the end of November 2021. Um, and prior to that, I'll kind of give my own very quick overview before talking more about uh, Magic Breakfast, which is much more important. Um, prior to that, I was at a youth employment charity. And so working with uh, young people who at the age of 16, 17, 18, 19 had left school, weren't in employment, education or training and had quite often had I guess, negative experiences of school, had been excluded, and were then looking for that support to find a way into work education training. And Magic Breakfast is just this brilliant organization that actually gets really ahead of the curve, um, working you know, with the youngest children in, all the way through primary and secondary school. And what Magic Breakfast believes is that there should be no child or young person who is too hungry to learn. Um, and I think you know, my experience certainly kind of coming into this space and into the organization was one of just horror and I guess outrage that this could exist in the UK in 2022. It's, you know, horrifying to think that at the moment there are about 2.7 million children and young people who are living in households with food insecurity and don't know what that next meal is going to be, as you touched on in terms of free school meals and the importance of lunch. But Magic Breakfast came about because our founder, Carmel, back in 2003, was doing some research and looking to understand, you know, why is there an attainment gap? Why are children in particular schools in Hackney, you know, struggling to learn? And it came back again and again that they were hungry and they were missing out on those valuable hours of learning first thing in the morning because their tummy was empty. And I'm certainly one of these individuals where if I'm not full, I can't focus. I definitely can't learn and I won't be as attentive or able to concentrate and behave ultimately in the classroom. So Magic Breakfast works all across England and Scotland and on an average school day. So this morning, for example, about 215,000 children and young people um, got a magic breakfast. Uh, we work in partnership with schools. So all of our school is, um, all of our food, sorry, is delivered through schools. And we work with just over 1,000 schools in communities up and down the country and um, look to make sure that children start the day with a nutritious and a healthy 
breakfast, um, but absolutely believe that there is lots more to be done. And the reason why we do that is because, as I say, it unlocks that ability to learn and really closes and addresses the attainment gap that we know exists in, unfortunately, all, all schools and education settings in the UK at the moment. Oh, what a fantastic introduction. And actually, I've just, uh, in amongst all my highlighted notes, have uh, just seen the stats that you've referred to in terms of the number of schools you work with. I'm just looking at the map as well. There's lots of lovely markers to show whereabouts in the in the UK you are based. And it's it's it looks like the number is going up all the time, which is absolutely fantastic. And uh, yes, the fact that over 200,000 children each, well, today alone have have got their day started with Magic Breakfast is is fantastic to hear. Um, And I know when I was still teaching in the UK that one of the schools I worked in was uh, involved with Magic Breakfast and children absolutely loved it. And it was such a, a wonderful thing to see and such a wonderful start to the day. Oh, that's brilliant. And I think what's really important uh, for us, especially, and you know, one of the things we probably need to talk about thinking about how we get nutrition into schools, not just, I suppose, food mm-hmm. and make sure that the, it's the right food and that it's being eaten and I guess targeting the children and young people who need it most is the magic breakfast model makes sure that there is that expert advice and guidance as well as food. So it's not just, you know, as I say, kind of food on a plate or in a bowl. It's making sure that you have you know, the really targeted um, kind of approach in terms of making sure the children and young people who might be starting their day hungry are the ones who are benefiting and able to access it. It's stigma free, it's barrier free. So one of the, you know, ideal situations for us is that schools actually open it up as a universal provision, which means regardless of whether you might be accessing particular benefits or not, you know, there are lots of different reasons. It's you know, absolutely hunger and cost of living crisis is making it even more difficult. But there are lots of reasons why a child or a young person might be sat in a classroom too hungry to learn. And we want to make sure that that, you know, stigma and those barriers don't exist and don't preclude any pupil from benefiting from that morning learning environment. No, I know. And I know that you, um, you, as you said, you know, everything that you do is kind of informed by research as well. And uh, I noticed that you recently changed your stance on fruit juice as well. I mean, despite the fact, I mean, I know obviously you're providing cereals and bagels as well, but uh, fruit juice is now uh, not so much a part of that as it as it was. Yes, and this is really interesting and actually shows the the differences even in the UK, um, you know, across the home nations. So in Scotland, for example, we have school food regulations and they removed fruit juice um, a couple of years ago. Whereas in England, there is uh, (laughs) probably the best way to describe it is an intention to publish some updated school food standards. And we absolutely ensure we adhere to the school food standards. But I think one of the things for Magic Breakfast is we don't want to be led by policy and led by government. We actually want to be leading the way in terms of nutrition, in terms of the health and composition of what we provide. So, yes, you're right. We took the the decision to remove fruit juice. Um, We've been piloting this year, actually. introducing milk into our kind of provision with one of our partners, um, Arla Dairy. And we're also obviously looking at the content of our cereals. So increasing the protein levels, increasing the fiber content, reducing the sugar, just, I guess, almost marginal gains, you know, on every single product and item that gets included in a magic breakfast. How do we make sure it, it's not just filling, but it's also nutritious and, as I say, kind of building up that brain power and capacity to learn. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, just as a side note, everybody, the the all these elements that we're talking about um, are all actually on Magic Breakfast website. They there's whole articles about the the nutrition and about how it's broken down and uh, actually where I find where I found out about your the the, the the stance on fruit juice the importance of fiber and things like that so it's it's very very informative and really good to kind of see it all there particularly with a, I love a, a good infographic as well so <laughs> me <that's>, too <laughs> and I think it's important to see to see that breakdown particularly as well with the uh, the the constant panic that exists in terms of sugar as well uh, in terms of all the things that we're putting into our bodies I mean I don't even know what's okay and what's not anymore so to see it sort of very clearly um, as far as magic breakfast goes is 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 good and if I can follow it I think anybody else could as well <laughs> but uh, so we've sort of going around the houses a little bit but um just kind of going back a step I mean in terms of I mean we know now that you're at Magic Breakfast kind of what Magic Breakfast is all about but how did you kind of end up going down this path because obviously it seems like a lot of what you've done prior to this has almost kind of led you to to where you are today and I just wonder if any of your experiences as a child because I know you said to me you grew up in Canada Yes. Yeah. And it's, it was really interesting, actually, kind of reflecting on uh, the point that you'd sent across to me beforehand in terms of, you know, my experience of school food. And so casting my mind back, and I think I said to you, it wasn't great and probably possibly aligns with kind of some of what you've described and maybe what some of the listeners have in their schools at the moment, which was we had to pay for anything. Um, so I do remember Tuesday was hot dog day and I remember Friday was an absolute standout day because it was pizza day. But the quality of that pizza, you know, it was actually delivery. So there were no kitchens. Um, I grew up on a small island on the east coast of uh, Canada called Prince Edward Island. And even though we had so much local produce and, you know, incredible farming community, fresh fruit, veg, um, you know, access to meat, dairy, etc. None of that was brought into the schools. It was you know, processed meat, very similar to your spam description that you were talking about earlier, um, just in hot dog form. And then, you know, pizza. And really the only kind of nutritious focus that I can remember is milk being provided. But again, we had to pay for that. And so looking back at thinking about who in my classmates, you know, was getting milk, who wasn't getting milk, who was getting hot dogs and pizza on pizza day, you know, there was... I didn't pick it up as a child, but I look back and realize, oh, actually the, the, you know, the classmates who didn't get to probably couldn't afford it or weren't able to um, kind of access that. So not dissimilar really to to the UK, but there was no provision of free school meals um, kind of where I grew up at all. And then, as you say, kind of where my journey has kind of landed me here, it it really stems from the fact that when I moved to the UK and was working in the charity sector. I was initially working in the space of homelessness, supporting individuals who were experiencing homelessness. And it felt like, you know, I was just, the work was showing up too late is maybe the way I would describe it. And so it was then really motivating and exciting to be working in the youth employment space, working with young people, unlocking all of that potential, um, you know, in the years ahead as they moved into their first job or moved into further education or an apprenticeship. But it still feels like such a, such a waste and such a shame and seeing the impact on their mental health and their well-being and their confidence to have had that negative experience of school possibly because they just weren't you know behaving all the time in the classrooms or because they weren't achieving or they didn't achieve the grades that they needed um, you know one of the things we know 
again, from not our research, but from others in the sector is, you know, pupils come out of primary school who experience more disadvantage up to nine months behind their better off peers. And that doubles by the time you get to secondary school. Whereas if you can just put some fuel in their tummies every day, every morning, you start to unlock that future potential, you know, on a day-to-day basis, on a termly basis, and, you know, really power that education. So when I saw the opportunity to join uh, Magic Breakfast and I think what also really spurred me on was seeing what they did throughout the pandemic. Um, So like lots of, you know, school provision and school activities in the UK, everything got um, shut down, lockdown happened in March 2020. And the team here at Magic Breakfast didn't let that stop them. You know, they just walked and looked at, well, how do we get breakfast to their homes, to the pupils' homes, so that they can still be fed, they can still learn even during the pandemic. And so we had a partnership, we have a partnership still with Amazon who provided, again, that stigma-free, barrier-free home delivery of breakfast each and every morning during the pandemic. And I think we've delivered now in excess of 3 million breakfasts um, through our partnership with Amazon and they've supported us providing breakfast through holiday times as well. So it's it's been incredible. And that was, again, a really key motivation for me to join was just the the passion and the talent of, of the team. And lots of our team, actually, especially our school partners who work directly with schools, come from a teaching background. So they absolutely understand not just the, the need for breakfast and for healthy, nutritious school dinners, but also the benefit and the impact it can have. Oh, absolutely. And it's, I mean... Of course, we, I mean, as I, as I mentioned in one of the research pieces, which I've lost the piece of paper now, oh, it's here, <laughs> right in front of me. Um, of course, you know, we, before the pandemic, we in the UK had an enormous poverty issue, which of course goes hand in hand with food poverty prior to the pandemic. And of course, that was hugely exacerbated when this, when this all kicked off over two years ago now and to see something like magic breakfast really step up was uh well is, is an amazing an amazing thing but uh i mean where is it that you saw the kind of the i mean you've sort of mentioned it already but the real impact of, of covid in terms of in terms of children and hunger was it was it the children who who would normally have free school meals normally in school who you were suddenly like okay we need to make sure that magic breakfast steps up mm-hmm. and ensures that they have what they need i yes and it's i i think what's also happened is it's just been such a moving i mean moving feast it's probably the wrong (laughs) the wrong term to use but it's been such a shifting challenge because as i say with lockdown it was first and foremost okay everybody's at home how do we approach that and then when we moved into september 2020 it was then that need to adjust and think about okay, so bubbles and waves of COVID going through schools, not just the children, the pupils, but you know, teaching staff and staff who might be looking after breakfast clubs and breakfast provision as well. So the team and you know, staff in schools across the country had to adjust and adapt their, maybe they had breakfast clubs, for example, but moved those to more grab and go models of breakfast provision. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm an optimist and somebody who will always find wherever possible that silver lining and, and look for a solution. But I think what we can benefit from COVID, if that's the right way to describe it, is all of the learning we captured and the different models and the different ways of working and how we could, you know, not just return now to a kind of breakfast club provision, but also thinking about uh, playground bagels, for example, which is something really quick and easy as you know, students are walking in kind of 
through the schoolyard. They're able to just grab a bagel, take it in. Um, classroom bagels and classroom breakfast provision is also something that um, we introduced because of COVID. And we are delighted that so many schools and teachers are deciding to keep that because it gives even greater opportunity for the little bit of extra pastoral care, maybe some support with reading or you know, any homework or learning activity that needs to be provided. And it just gives, again, that real opportunity to make sure that the children and young people who need the food the most do get an opportunity to sit down and eat it. Even if life at home is a little bit chaotic, they might be showing up a little bit late. Um, you know, we can ensure that they do get that that great start to the day. But I think that's the positive I'd take from COVID. Um, the other challenges that we've definitely seen is just trying to get the consistency in the staffing, you know, like every part of the school system, um, staffing has been and continues to be a challenge. And, you know, frustratingly, unfortunately, a lot of breakfast provision funding that it that does exist in, you know, from government doesn't, you know, cover and allow for staffing costs. And obviously there is a cost to schools. And so so much of the breakfast provision, at least, is having to be taken up by already overstretched school budgets, which we're very, we're very mindful of at Magic Breakfast and, and try and work with our schools to, you know, to overcome those barriers and those costs through whether that's bringing in volunteers from the community or thinking about different models, as I say, that we've learned, learned through COVID. But it's, it's lovely to hear that uh, an organisation like Magic Breakfast has done everything it can to find inroads, to find ways of adapting and, and doing things. And it's so positive to, to hear as well. And of course, the school budgets is always a, an ongoing issue. I mean, everything within education is a political football, as, as, as we know. But it's just, I suppose, what, what sticks with me is that, as you say, children who are hungry are not are not going to be as effective in the classroom. So surely, I mean, the logic in my mind would be, well, making sure they're fed and making sure they have that positive start to the day is so much more important than anything else. Because without that, the rest of the day is kind of, as, as you've said, I mean, I'm like you, if I've not had that, um, you know, quick boost in the morning, even if it's just a banana and a coffee, I am... Uh, probably less than half as effective as a, than I would be. And so without that jumping off point, then there really is nothing else. So I hope that, and I think it will sort of dawn on schools, particularly, as you say, in the wake of everything that's gone on and uh, as part of just bringing people back together, because as I mentioned uh, earlier in the show, you know, food does bring people together where, whether it is breakfast in the morning in your classroom, what a, what a lovely thing if that's how you, you start your day. I mean, I think that's a, a fantastic approach. That's it. I think, it, and one of the things I often see, you know, going into schools and, and seeing different breakfast clubs, different breakfast provisions taking place is it just, the word I would use is it kind of optimizes, um, you know, the children, the young people for the day ahead, because some come in absolutely, you know, careening around full of energy, full of, you know, kind of a, a frenetic <laughs> energy that they just need to kind of take a few um, moments to settle, to sit, sit down, kind of focus on and take the time to eat something healthy. And, you know, then there are other children who come in and maybe it's just having a, a little conversation, having a check-in and being able to, you know, we don't know what experience or what start to their day they might have had in their home. And I think something like, you know, breakfast, as you say, just sets you up to succeed for, you know, the valuable hours of learning and teaching that are going to take place before 
before lunch happens. Um, one of the interesting things that I've learned recently from uh, some of my team is that the original free school meals um, and free school dinners case was put forward by um, Margaret Macmillan, who was an absolute pioneer back in 1906. And actually back then, a school dinner tended more often than not to be breakfast. So the origins of free school meals are actually much more rooted in the breakfast provision than they are um, in the kind of lunchtime provision, which I thought was really interesting. So I think Margaret had it right <laughs> back, oh, yeah, but back over a century ago. <laughs> I mean, I mean that. I, I feel like I'm, I'm learning so much at the moment because, yeah, I mean, it, it, I suppose it, it makes sense, doesn't it? it why, why would that not be the the, the way to, to, to start a, a revolution like that? I also think um, teacher, teacher magic breakfast should definitely be a thing as well because, again, I think that we're all... Uh, as teachers as well we're all very good at uh and I've sort of talked about teacher martyrdom and things before we're very good at kind of making sure everyone else is okay and of course we need these children to be all right particularly particularly now even now so more than ever uh bringing people back together making sure they're happy in school all the rest of it but uh I think you know we we as teachers kind of come come with that and we're very good at sort of ensuring that that these children are okay as as we absolutely must, but uh, we also have forgotten how to just sit down and have that have that start and, and talk with our with our colleagues as well. So maybe we need to mm. get teacher magic breakfast going as as well. Uh, well, I you know I think I think you're actually really onto something there because one of the things we find really interesting, and we've got a couple of local pilots where we're trying to improve and further increase the nutrition and the variety of food and trying to create that healthy relationship and conversation about food with pupils and, and children. And actually, before we think about trying to move the nutrition on for students, we have to have that conversation with the teachers and with the staff. So I think you're right. One, it's really important to fuel teachers. And it's also a great opportunity to you know, help teachers understand the value and the relative value of one cereal over another, or, you know, maybe thinking about the spread that they put onto their uh, bagel, for example, rather than using butter and jam. And, you know, just the little changes that we can take to improve, as you say, our nutrition and what we're kind of putting into our own bodies, and then how we can communicate and educate that healthier relationship with food to to children is really important so I will I will keep that in mind I, <laughs> we're, in, we're, we're in a strategy refresh mode at the moment at Magic Breakfast so everything's on the table that sounds that sounds like an interesting one if my trustees are listening I'll uh, they'll be ready for it <laughs> but you never know I mean it could expand I mean I, I sort of use teachers as the example because obviously that's that's my world and the world of our listeners but again this could be you know uh, I mean I'm sort of getting ahead of myself but an office thing as well down the line I mean you know they they obviously you know private businesses and corporations can, you know, probably fund something like that for them for themselves. They wouldn't necessarily need the the charity support. But the the idea of in itself, just the basic concept of, of the bringing people together in the morning, which has been so lost, uh, is just mm -hmm. such a, a lovely thing to me. And I think it comes with that uh, sort of obsession, again, of bringing people together um, to just talk and and uh, particularly over food as, as well. So uh, it's, 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 Good that that could maybe make its way into the into the strategy, <laughs> and it also kind of feeds into a sort of another point that uh, I wanted to talk to you about, which is the role of teachers in all of this. Because we, you know, we are on the ground, we do want to be involved. We're always kind of looking to to 
find something else to to be good at, better at, more understanding uh, in terms of. And so where do you see kind of the teacher role in all of this in terms of promoting that uh, food and nutrition education? And, you know, do you feel that there's more work that we can do from a from a curriculum point of view on this? Um, I mean, I think I think teachers have so many things that they need to prioritize or constantly having to do. So what I would you know, what we would love to be able to do is provide the curriculum resources, the materials and the, the support that would help teachers to bring, you know, food and nutrition more into their kind of classroom environment. We were talking, you know, recently about how could, you know, almost bagel economics support a maths uh, class, for example, and you know, just thinking about ways to integrate a conversation about food into lots of kind of aspects of the classroom. Um, but I think, you know, the, the main kind of input and impact that teachers can have, certainly from a policy perspective and making that real long-term change at a national level is voicing the importance of breakfast and of food and of nutrition for the students. Because, you know, the Department for Education and government, local authorities, you know, they do, they talk around the edges, I think is probably the way to describe it. And mm -hmm. they do, they spend money. That's, uh, they spend money on free school meals and food in schools, but are they investing it properly? I don't think that is at all the case. You know, is it reaching the children, young people, like I said, you know, that it should be And Magic Breakfast is actually, we're going to be publishing a report uh, tomorrow morning, first thing. So um, we'll make sure that we send the link and you're able to share it with people who listen to the podcast because- Almost definitely. One of the things that kind of came through from that is only 2% of local authorities, for example, in England actually provide funding for breakfast versus 100% of them in Wales, 75% in Scotland. But even that funding doesn't tell the whole story because then actual pupil uptake seems to be another layer, if I can call it that way, of, of kind of barrier and, and challenge. So even where you've got breakfast provision happening, there are barriers that prevent the children and young people who need it most from accessing it, which is, as I said at the beginning, where Magic Breakfast tries to add that value that support and expertise around how do you target effectively and make it barrier and and stigma free um, so i i do think you know a, a key thing that teachers can do is is push for breakfast provision um you know push push for investment and you know the need for that to be uh as much as possible integrated into the curriculum there was you know an announcement earlier this week um, around a sustainability you know the sustainability of food being um, integrated into the curriculum more effectively. And I think that's great. You know, sustainability, nutrition, all of these things are really important, you know, not just for children's futures, but the future of the planet ultimately. So, um, I mean, I yeah. couldn't agree more. And I've sort of taught across a, a few year groups and it's sort of food and nutrition, of course it comes up and it's sort of, you kind of do a sort of cursory look at it in, in science and it comes up a little bit in PSHE and I just feel there is from what you've said as well that there's just room for a bit more because it is so fundamental it's what we come back to time and time again that this is that food and nutrition is the basis for everything the you know the the building blocks for anyone's day on any given day and the fact that we're sort of that even my knowledge as someone who professes to be such a foodie and so into uh, what people are eating I still think that from a sort of more scientific and nutrition level my knowledge isn't it certainly isn't there and I'd love to be as a teacher I'd love to be more informed so that I can then pass that on to 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 my pupils as well 
That's it. And I think, you know, one of the things that we, again, are really mindful of is, you know, how active and passionate, you know, the, this current generation, children and young people are around the climate, for example. And mm -hmm. so we would love to create and share, you know, lots more resources for educators that can, as you say, help educate around nutrition, but also educate around, you know, where has my food come from? You know, what, what makes it sustainable? And, you know, just even sourcing. I mean, I have learned <laughs> so much more than I ever thought I would learn about wheat supply in the UK in the last few months uh, with obviously the, the crisis and the invasion of Ukraine, where such a large proportion of wheat does come from, the impact of that, not just on cost of living, but, you know, farming and the cost of food. And so you have this, you know, we're such a, an integrated, you know, and interdependent society and supply chain, um, be that from where we get our food that comes, you know, to our houses, the food that comes into the classrooms, and the pressure of those costs and the, of those systems that will create, you know, even greater levels of hunger in, in schools at the end of the day. Almost oh, definitely. And just, yeah, the, of course, the another subject, the geography of it all. And I do mm. think that, uh, yes, the the idea of, of where food comes from as, as well, I think that, and I I mean, I work in a, in a very privileged environment nowadays, but it's, again, there's still that that naivety from children. And I hear them kind of talking about their, you know, their, their Starbucks and their burgers and their things like that. And I'm thinking, I, I, you don't want to ruin the fun for them. But at the same time, in, in the world that we're living in, we do need to understand that there is a pressure on, on these things and the, and the food miles and the, and the wastage and things like that. And uh, I just, I, I think there's definitely a way to address that that's without scaring them but sort of making them aware that that these are problems um and uh lawrence has just said globalized supply chains good thing mm. or bad thing key stage four or five <laughs> debate topic for for the older ones yes and i think even maybe some of the younger ones could uh uh with a sort of slightly different question could uh, definitely de debate that and 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 talk about that some more so uh all these things are are you know sort of widening the issue but at the same time allowing us opening up discussion points which are are so vital definitely and it's i mean picking up on that point around kind of the the global you know environment and the kind of world around us you know in so many international treaties actually the right to food is enshrined and we don't have that right to food enshrined in our own law and legislation in the uk you know and again just things like that which really recognize and acknowledge you know having food isn't a luxury. And, you know, I would argue having nutritious food isn't a luxury. It should be something that every child, young person, you know, citizen person in the UK has, has just a fundamental right to. And probably COVID, again, if we find the silver linings, what that opened more people's eyes to is sadly the, the vast number of people in our country who, who don't have that necessarily, who don't have you know, that ready access and that security of where their next meal is going to come from or how they're going to to pay for it. I mean, a separate, a whole separate podcast, but, you know, in terms of the demand on food banks at the moment is is just, you know, offensive, I think, in, in today's day and age. But it's it's very real. Um, so, yeah, and it's it's horrible to think of children and young people, I guess, bearing the brunt of that at the moment and and then missing out on that learning. Oh, most most definitely. I mean, honestly, it's uh, you know, sort of my brain is whirring away as I, as I'm talking to you, just sort of thinking of all the things that uh, you know 
I kind of want to discuss. I mean, I could be here forever and ever. I mean, I, and as you say, I think there is room for so many more podcasts. I mean, we could do series and series uh, on this. But uh, also, I mean, I suppose Magic Breakfast, as well as the the resources uh, for teachers to use, Certainly CPD for teachers. And again, this is something that I, that my regular listeners will know I talk about a lot, this continued professional development for teachers. Mm. We all want to do these things and we want to aid in the in this education, but we need that professional development. We need it to come from the people that are in the know, organizations like Magic Breakfast to, to sort of say to us, okay, we're going to equip you with what you need to make sure that you are then passing on our sort of, message to to the children as well and getting that uh, that connection going and that chain going so that we are uh, teaching the right things and making sure that we are absolutely promoting all the things that are so 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 important no i completely agree and it's interesting actually because there's um there was an announcement by government a, a couple of months ago now that they were going to be looking at how to train and educate governors on the importance of school food and their responsibilities. But as you say, and like I was touching on earlier, you can have lots of breakfast provision, but unless you've got the the knowledge and the know-how and the capacity and the staffing in the school on a day-to-day basis, it's not necessarily going to make all of the difference that it possibly can. So um, completely agree. I think, you know, that teacher knowledge and information and awareness so that they can speak really knowledgeably and confidently as well, I think is is important. I mean, I've learned so much since joining Magic Breakfast and we're really fortunate to have um, a nutritionist in-house who, you know, provides us with loads of insight. And it's not just nutrition, it's also, you know, the cultural considerations in terms mm-hmm. of, and, and allergens. And, you know, it's just a, it's a, a whole world. Um, and as you say, you could kind of, you could go off in lots and lots of different directions and and kind of think about it in lots of different ways, which is really exciting if we think about how do we bring all of that together to build education, to build curriculum, to ensure that, you know, that kind of whole child's well-being is being looked after and, and considered. Um, I think it kind of all comes back to that in a lot of ways. It does. And I and again, I, I talk about a lot of things that I wish were included in teacher training that I wish were kind of happening on on the back of COVID. Uh, there I go again. But I think also now is the now is the time more than ever to look at that curriculum design. And this is another uh, be in many teachers bonnets, as I'm sure you know, that that it's just the 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 things that were relevant and the things that were important even five, five years ago just aren't aren't important in the same way again and I hope that those who are you know at the DFE those who do make the decisions in terms of of education um do consult organizations like Magic Breakfast and think well hang on a minute wouldn't this be a great time to actually look at the curriculum across the board starting with the really the really young ones in in EYFS even nursery uh, and just finding a way to to integrate all of this into into a curriculum would just I mean I'm, I'm going down my little kind of idealistic uh, route as I often do and just thinking actually do you know what it could be so much better if the focus was where it needs to be which is from the ground up and as we've mentioned sort of several times during this this show the day starts the beginning of education starts with those children being able to being you know physically and mentally well enough to, to be able to walk through the door and learn and that starts with 
food and starts with fuel in their bodies and starts with all the things. But if we're not, you know, including this in the curriculum, how on earth are they going to know and and understand Mm -hmm. that? No, exactly. And I think one of our, um, I guess, frustrations or one of the things that we've recognized and heard from so many of our schools and teachers uh, through the last couple of years is, you know, even things like Ofsted and the inspection framework. And where does that look at and consider, you know, the incredible work that is being done around breakfast provision, for example. So making sure that exactly as you've described, I think breakfast needs to be and has to be considered a vital part of the school day. And it's mm-hmm. it's from that moment on that you are, you know, unlocking learning and and providing education to two pupils and it can't be something that's effectively as it currently stands it's a postcode lottery you know whether you are mm-hmm. in a school with or without breakfast provision what that what that breakfast provision looks like and whether you as a student can actually access it or if it costs you know up to four pounds a day are some of the charges um, for breakfast and that's because it gets integrated or incorporated into childcare and you know again it's that kind of trying to unpick and think I'm I'm on the same route as you that kind of you know positive optimistic you know let's think progressively and recognize okay we've got a cost of living crisis we want you know more people in the workforce and supporting our economy as a whole let's unlock the you know, the working potential of everybody by providing, you know, more accessible childcare solutions, making sure that, you know, that's available to all children and young people at the start of a school day, making sure that it's paid for and it's not, um, you know, a, either a nice to have or very expensive, which maybe excludes the most disadvantaged pupils and sets them even further back. Um, in Scotland, I think we do have um I would say a glimmer of hope. Um, It was set out in the manifestos for several of the political parties last year when they were elected. And it is part of the government's program to roll out breakfast provision at primary and in um, uh, special education schools with a pilot in this parliament. So before 2026 in secondary schools. So, you know, I... I hope and I believe that we will have maybe a a case study of what can be really achieved in breakfast provision at a national scaled up level, um, which could shine a light and a a bit of a beacon for the rest of the rest of the country. I hope so, because it I mean, I don't I mean, you might sort of disagree on this, but at the moment, it still feels like everything that organisations like Magic Breakfast are doing is still a little bit and sort of uh, don't really know how to phrase it. it's almost kind of still very much behind the scenes of of and when I say that I mean kind of behind the scenes of sort of school life and the school day and and everything else it's sort of not quite hasn't quite made it to sort of the forefront it hasn't quite come out on mm-hmm. you know into the into the spotlight everyone knows it's there you know we've had of course a lot of celebrity influence and things that have talked about this but it still seems to me that it always gets kind of shoved back shoved back behind the curtain yeah. a little bit I, I completely agree. And I think part of that is because, you know, so many of the you know, decision makers and policymakers in Whitehall or wherever are thinking about education and attainment, which is absolutely right. And our point is the fact that, well, education and attainment can be and has been proven to be fueled by healthy, nutritious food at breakfast and at lunch. So it's it's just getting people to think about the fact that food and fuel is absolutely critical before any academic intervention comes in. I think, you know, all of the various kind of COVID catch-up schemes and additional tutoring, 
you know, if I haven't had something to eat, providing me with an extra hour or two hours or infinite number of hours of tutoring isn't going to help, um, you know, if you're actually just sat there quite hungry and unable to to focus and learn. So I, I agree. There's a journey and we have a wonderful policy and engagement team at Magic Breakfast who do, uh, you know, kind of set the the drumbeat and work very hard. And we have, you know, we do have supporters in um, in different political parties, but there's there's a journey ahead of us, I guess, is the the, the realistic thing I have to say. Oh, most definitely. And just going back to what you were saying, again, this is something I pulled from from the Magic Breakfast website, which, um, I mean, it's I don't know how big this research project was, but it says um, the research that was funded by the Education Endowment Foundation uh, found that year two pupils in schools um, providing were being provided with Magic Breakfast, it boosted their reading, writing and maths by an average of two months progress per mm-hmm. year. That's huge compared to pupils in schools with no such provision. So just, I mean, obviously that's only one study, but it does go to, to show that uh, with the right, with the right nutrition, that mm-hmm. wonderful things can, can happen. Oh, definitely. And, and actually, I mean, that study was, I guess, from a research perspective, kind of the gold plated type. Um, it is absolutely rigorous and robust um, in terms of the findings that it had. And there's been other studies as well. Leeds University did one um, at secondary school level and found that um, students who were regularly eating breakfast achieved up to two grades higher at GCSEs. I mean, the I would say the evidence is there and that is irrefutable. And it's now about investing in and and understanding that i think you know there's a there's a lot of talk about evidence-based policy making but it doesn't always seem to quite quite happen at the pace you'd you'd hope for um but you're right the the attainment the opportunity to boost attainment through breakfast and through healthy food is i'd say you know irrefutable at this stage oh most most definitely well i'll tell you what we're going to do i'm going to uh play the news again and when we come back we're going to see what conclusions we can come to if any um i think i think there might be a few that we uh that we've already touched on and uh yeah so let's uh, let's do that and i will come back to you in a moment Lindsay, if that's all right sounds good thanks lucy This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.weatherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development, every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. Introducing Bulb. 
With evidence-based learning at the forefront of education, let Bulb Digital Portfolios help reshape your educational practice. Bulb helps teachers teach and learners learn. Bulb is an easy-to-use, fully accessible digital platform that captures students' digital learning assets in one place, allowing them to evidence their learning and reflect on their growth. Our dedicated team of education specialists are on hand to ensure the Bulb fits seamlessly into all of your teaching practices. Come take a look and get a free account at bulbapp.com. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are Witherslack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. In Wales, head teachers are optimistic that the new term beginning on Monday will be the most normal since 2019. School visits, leavers events, sports days, awards, fairs and shows are running for the first time since the pandemic began. New schools advice is due to be issued on Friday, May the 6th. Teaching unions, however, have warned that it is not business as usual and there is still a high risk of COVID disruption. Teaching Union, UCAC, summed up mixed feelings, saying, Hopefully, with the weather improving, there will be more opportunities for schools to plan extracurricular activities. However, only time will tell if the infections will rise or not after the Easter break. Karen Brown, head teacher of Millbank Primary School in Cardiff, said, We are not so worried about COVID now, but there were still plenty of cases last term, so we are continuing with good ventilation and hygiene. We are looking forward to things like sports days again. Our plan is to invite parents to that and to our first Year 6 Leaver service for two years. We started trips last term and Years 5 and 6 had an amazing time at Story Arms. We couldn't do that in the last two years. According to new research by the National Literacy Trust, parents spent less time reading, chatting and playing with their children during the pandemic. The Trust surveyed more than 1,500 parents with children under five. Overall, the report found that fewer parents of young children engaged in home learning activities, reading, chatting, playing, singing or painting and drawing, in 2021 compared with 2019, despite spending more time in their home with their child due to the pandemic. Spokesperson Alison Tebbs said, It was such a difficult time for people 
There was less support for families. There was less socialisation happening and beneficial activities like going to the park or library were often unable to take place. Reading with children and having conversations is vital for helping their brains develop. One of the reasons two-year-olds act out is because they're trying to communicate feelings which they can't explain verbally. That's why you get tantrums. The more words they have and the more support they get when they communicate, the more in touch they will be with their emotions and with the wider world. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this term is known to be one of the hardest. When we're distracted and tired, it's easy to make a mistake and fall for a scam. There are loads of scams out there, but the use of subdomains to give a fake sense of security is one scam that a lot of people fall for. In the interest of keeping you, your family and your friends safe over the next two episodes, I'm going to explain the fake bank message scam and how it can look so believable. First up, we need to discuss how data travels over the internet. If you explore an internet address, let's take Teachers Talk Radio as our example, https www.ttradio.org. There are basically four parts. HTTPS, this is Hypertext Transfer Protocol, with the S standing for secure. Protocols are used for data transfer. The HTTP protocol allows the transmission of HTML or hypertext markup language from a web server to your computer. In basic terms, it lets a web page be requested and viewed. The confusion here is the secure version. Some believe that seeing a site is HTTPS and has a little padlock in the address bar means that you are protected. To some extent, this is true. However, the security certificate for a site simply encrypts or scrambles the transmission. So if it's intercepted, it can't be used. So yes, you are secure from interception but if the owner of a website is dishonest, you're not safe from them. The next three parts are to do with where the web page resides or the address. Like we need a postcode and house number, your computer needs to know where to look for the information you want. WWW is the World Wide Web, a huge network of interconnected networks. TT Radio is the name of the website and .org is the top level domain. Again, simplifying this, .org domains are kept in a kind of phone book that can be accessed by your internet service provider. So to find ttradio.org, .org tells you to look in the .org phone book for TT Radio and return where the website is for your browser to download it. Why don't you ask your pupils, family and friends what they believe the padlock and HTTPS means? You may be surprised at the answer you receive. Next time, we're going to look at how criminals use this misconception to gain your trust. As always, don't forget to check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. Tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Good evening. You are back with me, Lucy Newberger, and my wonderful guest, Lindsay McDonald, CEO of Magic Breakfast. Um, I hope you didn't do what I just did then, Lindsay, and start sort of drifting off and thinking about dinner. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, I was. I've got plans for teacher magic breakfast and all sorts curriculum resources. You've fueled my thinking tonight, Lucy. So thank you. Oh, wonderful! Well, <laughs> you've you've definitely um, inspired many. I think this evening, uh, including Lawrence, my um, my dear friend of the show, who said. Um, that, Lindsay, you need to come and talk uh, on the relationship between food and education again. This is wonderful. So uh, good oh. to know that we've been well received <laughs> this evening. <laughs> so we've talked 
it's sort of in a multitude of different directions about magic breakfast, about the importance of breakfast in general. But I suppose in order to kind of round uh, this evening out, even though we could go on and on and on and on, what would you say is the kind of the, the message that you want to, to sort of send out at the moment as far as Magic Breakfast is concerned, as far as the importance of nutrition education? If you could, and this is a very hard task, it's sort of 20 past seven on a Tuesday evening, I appreciate it. If you could kind of sum up sort of where you think we need to head next or what you think the sort of the important things are going forward, if you could give that a crack go for it. <laughs> I will I will give it a go. I think I mean as you say we've touched on so many things and what that speaks to is the the root of the challenge and the root of the opportunity is we need structured investment. We need structured investment from government that is a longer term commitment with support and advice provided to schools to ensure that breakfast provision is nutritious. It's, you know, there's education and CPD provided alongside it so that teachers and staff can encourage and support children and young people to have a healthy relationship with food and so that schools can also plan for it. I think, you know, that's one of the biggest things that COVID has highlighted is the ability to react is great, but actually the opportunity to plan and be proactive and know that breakfast provision is going to be in place in the long term means that we can really put it at the heart of you know, our curriculum and you know, properly fuel the start and um, you know, opportunity for children's learning. So that's my big ask, structured investment. And um, you can absolutely talk to us at Magic Breakfast if there are any policy people listening as to where we know we can get that funding from. So it's not about raising new taxes or anything like that. We've identified underspends in government uh, areas that we think could be used. And then the second thing in terms of, I guess, us as individuals and people is to you know, add your voice to um, the asks of organizations like Magic Breakfast. And we have a campaign at the moment about closing the education gap that we would love to get as many signatories as possible um, on. And that is actually being led by our youth campaigners. So we have young people from across the UK who have joined Magic Breakfast to be active campaigners and creating that case for, you know, educational opportunity gap to be addressed through breakfast provision. And there's a a campaign on our website that individuals could sign, add their voice to. And I think it's really important that Department for Education, government policymakers hear from teachers because ultimately that's where the, as much as it is children and young people, it's also teachers who can share in you know much better detail and um, you know kind of story the difference it makes to children and young people you know like you were touching on kind of students sitting in a classroom focused and attentive because their tummies aren't rumbling um, that's that's a really important thing that teachers can absolutely contribute and and I would ask for Oh, fantastic. And you, you did a wonderful job there because I feel I put you on the spot there quite, <laughs> in quite a harsh way. So That's okay. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. So sort of to, to really kind of finalise everything, you mentioned before that there is a report coming out from Magic Breakfast tomorrow. How do we get hold of that? How can we read it? Um, so if you follow us on any social media platform, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, wherever, wherever you might be, um, the, the report will be shared. It will also be on our website, magicbreakfast.com. And we can, we can share it with you, Lucy, as well. So you can maybe Wonderful. retweet it and, and share it through the, the podcast channels. 
absolutely we will we will do that we will do that for you because well you. we know how important this is uh, obviously i wanted to talk about it and the fact that you uh you said you, you'd come on without a without too much uh a sort of shoving from me i i think i said to you i feel like a a twitter town crier whenever i try and uh get what get people involved uh, in this show and uh my uh boss at, at teachers already is always saying to me lucy just talk to people just approach people you'd be you'd be surprised how how um how much people do want to talk to you and do want to, to, to mm -hmm. discuss subject matter so i am enormously grateful to you Lindsay, for being uh, so wonderful and for for coming on and for for sharing everything and talking in so much detail about magic breakfast and about the importance of nutrition education in schools uh, the final question i have for you is uh, how can people find you because i know your your twitter is very uh, interesting and also linked to all the things that you have done before as well as magic breakfast Ah, um, so I am on Twitter as at Lindsay Mac, M-A-C underscore, um, Lindsay McDonald, and there's a, a British and a Canadian flag, so you can definitely pinpoint that it's me. And I'm on LinkedIn as well. But if you'd like to send me an email, um, if you'd like to maybe, you know, put forward your suggestions, or if you could share with us, I think one of the things that we're really keen to understand as well is how can we make sure that teachers know about, um, you know, the breakfast provision opportunities in your local area? How can we make sure that resources around nutrition and education are really valuable and meaningful to you, um, send me an email at lindsay.mcdonald at magicbreakfast.com and I will try to reply within, you know, a, a reasonable amount of time. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably the, all... best thing, the safest thing to say. <laughs> I think I think it is. I never know what what the etiquette is anymore. Particularly, you know, since since lockdown, it's kind of oh. email seems to be a twenty four hour issue, and I have to kind of say to myself, no, leave it alone. Yes, no, definitely, and I'm very mindful. Having had a, a great day and with all of the preparation for the report uh, going live tomorrow, I don't know what my inbox looks like at the moment. So I won't make any any commitments or promises I can't keep. But um, no, Magic Breakfast is incredibly grateful, you know, not just to for this opportunity to talk about the work that we do, but also to shine that light. As I said, you know, I wasn't as aware as I should be um, as somebody who lives in this country and cares about children's education and you know future life chances i didn't realize the scale of the issue in terms of children being hungry in a classroom and um, i'm just really grateful that i had an opportunity to to share that but also share hopefully some of the optimism and solutions that we think we have ahead of us as well well Lindsay, it's been an absolute joy to have you. Thank you so, so much for giving up your time to, to come on here, particularly on a, on a Tuesday evening, because I'm, I'm sure that it's, you know, there are other things that, as you say, you know, the inbox and all the rest of it. But um, we will have you back anytime. And of course, we will make sure that the, uh, the, the link to the report gets tweeted out. Also, um, I will put all the things we have talked about in my show notes, which I will remember to do. And please do come back and speak to us again soon. I'm sure there'll be an opportunity again to, to have another discussion. I know that uh, there are people listening in who are very keen to, to hear more from you. So hopefully uh, we haven't put you off um, coming on the <laughs> radio again. No, not at all. Thank you so much, Lucy, and, and to everybody you. who's been listening. It's been great. And uh, enjoy your gnocchi and, uh, yeah. Thank you. Evening. You too. Take care. Bye. Bye. 
So that was the fantastic Lindsay MacDonald. I really don't have anything else to, to add. I think she summed it up beautifully in all the things that we have discussed and talked about this evening. I will make sure, as I said, that everything is in the show notes. So look out for that on my Twitter at Lucy New. Uh, L-U-C-E-E-N-E-U. Yes, I still cringe every time I say my, my Twitter handle because uh, I, at the time I thought it was cool. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, that's all I'm gonna say. But wow, what a show. I mean, one of the, one of the greatest we have, we have had uh, in a while. So I, yeah, I really don't have anything else to say at this point. Next week, I will be back. I'm tinkering with a variety of different topics. I haven't really landed on the one that I'm going to talk about but as soon as I make a decision I will let you know hopefully we can get some guests uh, on more because I know that for the last few weeks prior to, to Easter uh, I didn't have uh, any guests on and it's so lovely to actually speak to somebody and to actually bounce off somebody else it makes it much 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 more fun for I think for me and for everybody listening so for now, I'm going to go and decide what I'm having for dinner. It has been a pleasure as always. I hope you've enjoyed it. Please also bear in mind that this show will go out as a podcast. It'll be available on Podbean, on Spotify, and I believe on Apple as well. So look out for it there if you want to listen again, and I'll make sure it's uh, retweeted out. So Lindsay, you can uh, tweet it out to your followers as well so that they can listen in and hopefully it'll reach the ears that it needs to reach. But all that remains for me to say is to have a lovely evening, be good, be safe, and I will talk to you soon. Oh, that's interesting. My outro has decided not to work. So I've got no closing music, but never mind. I will just leave you in peace. Bye bye, everyone. <laughs>